Mecham Auctions, the world's largest collector car auction company, returns to Indy with Dana Mecham's 37th Original Spring Classic, May 10th through the 18th at the Indiana State Fairground. 3,000 muscle cars, Corvettes, exotics, and more. Broadcast on Motor Trend TV and streaming live on Max. From avid collectors to those new to the Mecham experience, we welcome everyone. Register to bid now at Mecham.com. Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. And Israel has every right to defend itself against a fanatical terrorist group whose stated purpose is to murder Jews and eradicate the Jewish state. Hamas is still holding hostages, including American citizens. Hamas embeds itself and hides itself behind innocent Palestinian civilians. Hamas does not speak for the Palestinian people. Tell that to all the college students there, Secretary Austin. Tell that to all the college students who are absolutely pro-Hamas. Tell that to Ilhan Omar and Rashida Tlaib and Andre Carson, Jamal Bowman and Akasi Cortez. They are not pro-Palestinian. They are pro-Hamas. And I have had people say to me that they think that I'm being quite bold. They're amazed that I'm able to say such a thing. Why would anybody be amazed that the truth can be told? Except, of course, telling the truth is a uh, is an incredible act these days, right? The truth is what gets people in trouble, which is, of course, why we're having societal issues. When you can't speak the truth, when you are attacked for telling the truth, when you are uh, punished for telling the truth, that's a... Uh, that's a thing, was it? Telling the truth is a they consider it a subversive act. They can consider it whatever they want. Hamas does not speak for the Palestinian people, except the people of the United States on college campuses and other places believe that that is indeed the case. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, 833 got Tony, 833 468 8669. Of course they do. Of course they do. They do. This was Secretary Austin, who is right now in uh, Tel Aviv, and he had more to say. Now, in my meetings today, I also discussed the need to take urgent action to stabilize the West Bank. Attacks by extremist settlers against the Palestinians in the West Bank must stop. And those committing the violence must be held accountable. Now, we know that the past 72 days have been some of the most painful days in Israel's history. But it would compound this tragedy if all that was waiting for the Israeli people and your Palestinian neighbors at the end of this awful war was more insecurity, fury, and despair. As I've said, Israelis and Palestinians have both paid too bitter a price to just go back to October 6th. Now, What's happening in, in the West Bank and, and uh, some of the fighting that's happening there, one could argue is unnecessary. One could argue should stop not going to tell those people that they can't have that conversation. But anything 
that removes from the front page that Hamas must be destroyed, of course, is is a non-argument. This plays into a conversation here in the U.S., because the, the, the story of, of Israel's fight against Hamas, Hamas, a terrorist organization that doesn't believe Israel can exist and set out to murder uh, Jews and murder 1,200 Jews and others, set babies on fire, beheaded people, burned people alive. I mean, this, this is who they are. Well, a, a couple things have to be taken from this. First, let us, let us engage just some news. It is very obvious that Israel did not understand the strength of the enemy. They have found yet another tunnel. Now, we have known that Gaza and Hamas in Gaza has long had these, these, these tunnel projects where they were able to ferry people to and fro. Tunnels that you could drive multiple cars through, I'm talking about widthwise. Seems that Israel did not know this. Now, what they knew, what they didn't know, what they actually tell us and what they don't, right? There's, there's no way for us to really have an understanding of their uh, intellectual capacity. But this attack took place and clearly Israel didn't know. And this tunnel exists and Israel didn't know. Which would lead one to ask, well, what exactly do they know? And I would argue that they know plenty, but not all. Which means Hamas has gotten very good at this level of planning. I believe this puts within Israel even more onus to destroy Hamas, to understand the depths to which Hamas has uh, strength and capability, funding from Iran, and a willingness to destroy Israel. If they're hiding this, Lord only knows what else is being hidden. I will state again that it is very clear that the camp is set is behind Hamas. This was uh, Toronto. The, the Eaton Center, which uh, a mall that I, I've been at, where you have Palestin- people who are pro-Palestinian saying this to cops in Toronto. Telling cops... You come near me and I'll put you laid down on the floor. I'll put you six feet deep. Just so you understand what you're dealing with here. You, you think these people are, are all about uh, having, finding some way to live together and engaging lives? No. They're about the destruction of the other side. Threatening of the other side. And the other side, in this case, is not just Jews... But it's Western civilization. And, and, and someone uh, suggested to me that maybe Western civilization is too heady. And I'm like, uh, I, I think that's a disrespect for an audience uh, that is so great, I don't even know what to say. Does anybody agree that this discussion that we're talking about, the future of Western civiliza- civilization here, is too heady? Well, let's discuss it a- another way. They're going to kill your kids if you don't stand up to them. Your kids are going to get shot in the head. Your kids are going to get set on fire. Your kids are going to get butchered. Your kids are going to get murdered. Do you understand now? All those rabid college students, whether they be from Columbia or Harvard or anywhere else, they'll kill your kids. Does that make it more accessible? 
You think these people in Toronto, oh, they're just living in Canada. Oh, thank goodness for Canada, just letting everybody in. What a great uh, policy they have of bringing in immigrants. Good policy today? As you will hear me state more and more often, the issue around the world is not specific, or at least in the United States, and I'll say North America, because we're talking about Canada, is not radical Islamic terrorism, although that's an issue. The issue is liberalism that will not stand up and say that's wrong. No one within the Trudeau government will stand up and say that's disgusting and we should have our police arrest you on the spot for threatening a cop and physically take you in. And if you want to fight, we'll fight because Canada will not allow itself to be somehow uh, a subordinate to your angry fever dreams. Liberals in America are the most dangerous part of America. Liberal policies, liberal philosophies, liberal thoughts. Because liberalism is illiberal. Oh, it gets so heady, but it doesn't. Liberalism does not allow for someone to say that's wrong. All these kids on these college campuses who push for Hamas are wrong. But no one says a word. Because to say a word, well, that's offensive, but it's not offensive. It's rational. There's a conversation to be had about whether or not things can be said on a college campus. That's a free speech conversation. But there should be no conversation that there shouldn't be a response to the bigotry on college campuses. But as I started with, how did we get to this spot? And 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 I've got I've got more of this to to, to, to get to, but let me let me start with two pieces of polling. The first one is from a Harvard-Harris poll. I know it's Harvard. Go with me, would you? 51% of 18 to 24-year-olds, 51% of 18 to 24-year-olds think Israel should be ended and given to Hamas. How is that possible? Ended and given to Hamas. What, what does that even mean? The country should cease to exist? The land should be given to a terrorist organization to run? Wait, 51% of 18 to 24-year-olds really think a terrorist organization should be in charge? How is that possible? I'm here to tell you that it's not actually possible. Now, is it? That isn't what they believe. said they believe in a two-state solution. 17% said other Arab states should be asked to absorb Palestinian populations. What are they referring to when they say Israel will be ended and given to Hamas and the Palestinians? Well, I have to take you to another poll. The other poll says 67% of the respondents aged 18 to 24 agree that, quote, Jews are a class, as a class, are oppressors and should be treated as oppressors. Now you're like, wait a second. Israel should be given to Hamas because Jews are oppressors. Well, you hear about the colonizer thing constantly and consistently. The fact that it has no historical connection is inconsequential, but you hear it. And then you're like, okay. I hear about this colonizer thing. I hear this this lie from people like uh, Jew-hating bigot Rashida Tlaib and Jew-hating bigot Andre Carson and Jew-hating bigot Ilhan Omar uh, uh, about apartheid state. What is... But that's also nonsense. 
what it is is part and parcel of something that has happened in elementary schools, middle schools, high schools, and colleges, which is Marxism. So Marxism reduces the concepts of class struggle or takes the ideas of class struggle and reduces them into two component pieces. And you've heard this before because you've heard it in relationship to DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion, which is bigotry. And anybody who has a DEI department is engaged in and complicit in bigotry, whether it be a university, whether it be a city, whether it be, for example, the state of Indiana, where we actually have this on a cabinet level. It's disgusting. It's, it, it is immoral. It is the absolute codifying of bigotry. I said it. I meant it. I'll say it again anywhere. But DEI applies things in this same way. Oppressed oppressor. Oppressed oppressor, remember, in, in, in the world of DEI, uh, you, you've, you've got uh, white people who are oppressors, and you, are who, if you're not white, are oppressed. Now, the fact that you don't feel oppressed, the fact that you're not oppressed, is inconsequential. You are taught that you are oppressed. And every bit of the things like intersectionality and all the other things are built upon this premise. Another way to say this is the way Barack Obama, the former president, used to refer to the 99% and the 1% when we talked about uh, money and paying taxes and, and, and wealth. Another way to say this is Karl Marx, Communist Manifesto, talking about the proletariat and the bourgeoisie, the haves and the have-nots. Everything is reduced so it can be a bite-sized, spoon-fed, oppressed oppressor. Why does one have to have any knowledge of a situation? These people are the oppressors and these people are oppressed. And in this case, they break it down via color of skin. And you're like, wait a second, Israelis in color of skin. This doesn't make any sense. Jews are white. That, if, if you ask, Jews are white. Go, go take a look at the colleges. Ask them the question. Go take a look at the polling. Ask the question. Jews are white. And so therefore, the people of Gaza are not white, oppressed oppressors, 99%, 1%, proletariat, bourgeoisie. It is all the same. Through decades of not paying attention to education, to academia, we have allowed this to seep in. We have allowed this to take hold. And it is now this complete thing. Yes, it can be broken in my view, but understand how complete it is. It is so complete that the university professors will not speak out against it, not just because they are cowards and lowly in far too many cases, but because they believe it true. Not only do they believe it true, their liberalism prevents them from being able to engage because to speak out against it would be bigoted in and of itself. Thus, we go back to the origin of the conversation. Liberalism is the most dangerous thing in America. It is wholly illiberal. It doesn't allow for free speech or free minds. It allows for one collective thought. And if you are not within the thought, therefore, you must be oppressing somebody. These university students have no minds in the main, have no thoughts in the main. These students, not all students, these students. 
Everything is in this guise. Everything is in this vein. Everything is in this vision. How does one break this? Well, first, one uh, uh, votes for people who understand that you have to destroy the terrorist organization to have peace. Hamas must be destroyed for peace in, uh, to exist in Israel. And Hamas must be destroyed for America to be safer because Lord only knows what Iran is doing in trying to attack the United States and other parts of Western civilization. Number two, the university system must be broken, just like the union system must be broken, so these teachers no longer have the control that they once had. And that's homeschooling, and that's private schooling, and that's busting the unions in half. That is parents paying attention to what's happening in their schools, fighting what's happening in schools, demanding better of the school libraries, demanding better of the education. And when people say, how dare you, paying no attention to those bigots and keep pushing forward. And number three, and number three, just like we're seeing on Harvard where law firms are now saying we no longer hire from Harvard, it's time to stop hiring and time to stop engaging with these so-called ISIS League schools. Well, they used to be Ivy League schools. Now they're just ISIS League schools. They have to learn the hard way. Their bigotry will not be rewarded. We will get more into it. This is Tony Katz today. The Delaware police have arrested the driver who hit the Biden motorcade. This was crazy yesterday. And, you know, I, I, I look forward to Joe Biden not being president of the United States. And I don't think that Joe Biden is mostly aware of, of where he's at at any one time. I'm not diagnosing the man. This is a personal opinion. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. But he's coming out of a, of a campaign headquarters in Delaware. And he's asked a question by a reporter about why he's losing the Trump in, po- in the polls. And he's like, you're reading the wrong polls. That's not the story. This is the story. Mr. President, why are you losing to Trump in the polls? That crash was somebody hitting a car, a Secret Service car that's acting as a barrier, blocking the road. And the video shows Biden turning to look what it is and some of the Secret Service looking to see what it is and then moving him into the car. In my view, they ain't moving him fast enough. Look, no matter what I think about Biden policies or Biden as, as a person, I don't want to see the man get hurt at all. And I am asking out loud, how come they didn't move faster? This guy hit the the car that was blocking the road and then actually tried to drive around it. Secret Service, of course, was, was there. They have to command this guy to, I think, get out of his car. The president was then uh, um, put into the motorcade and they left without further incident. So according uh, to this, Secret Service handed the investigation to the police. They didn't consider the driver a serious threat. Well, good. But let me say for the record, I, I, you, you watch the video. I think we've got it over at TonyCats.com. 
I, I, it's not that I want to see the Secret Service panic. It's that I just want to see. I wanted to see him move faster, and maybe I'm the only one who who's like, are they moving slow? And maybe it's like Tony, you have to understand and reactions and 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 systems and all. I would like to have seen them move faster. That said, I'm glad it was nothing more than what it was, and I'm glad the man's okay. And now let's vote him out of office. The guy in question, charged with driving under the influence and inattentive driving. He's lucky that's all he's charged with. This is Tony Katz today. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. concerned because the Republicans have never gotten immigration right. That's just the fact of it. Um, There's not very much that the Republicans get right in general. And so to basically say that issues of national security as it relates to how we're going to take care of our allies should be tied to this mangled immigration process is absolutely insane. I mean, when you look at somebody like Greg Abbott, my governor, and his solution, his solution is to basically say, hey, we're going to kill people that are trying to come in. Like, that's not a solution. Like, the Republicans don't have the solutions. They want to continue to defund the aid that is going not the aid, but they're continuing to defund um, border security. Well, I mean, who's going to sign up for this job and you're not paying worth anything? That's Representative Jasmine Crockett, who, as you have heard, sounds like a fool. Just, hey, I'm going to go on MSNBC, hate Republicans, be done. There's just no place in this for, for this. There's no conversation taking place here. You don't like the idea that Republicans want to tie Ukraine funding to the border. I'm sorry you don't like it, but here we are. Now what? Do you want the border to be secure, yes or no? You, you, you seem to act like you want the border to be secure, and the Republicans can't do it, so what is your plan? Tony Katz. Tony Katz today, it's good to be with you. I'm asking you, Representative Crockett, what is your plan? I don't think you have a plan. I think you sound like a child. You sound like a fool. No part of me from that uh, encounter that you just had with MSNBC makes me feel like you've got a real understanding of the issue. Let me see if I can give you an understanding of the issue. December migrant encounters are up nearly 30% from November. This according to Customs and Border Patrol. Now what? The Tucson sector. We're now into Arizona, leading the charge. The Democrat governor of Arizona, Katie Hobbs, Lord only knows how she won against Carrie Lake. I know it's Carrie Lake, but still, Katie Hobbs ran a child's campaign where she never, ever actually did anything. She's saying that the Biden administration isn't doing enough, that this is simply untenable. And that we have to do more. We're going to push the administration to try and do more. But we simply can't have this. The border is the number one issue in America. Roughly 10,000 more people were apprehended daily last week. And every day surpassed 
10,000 migrants. Sunday, they only had 9,900. They only had 9,900 on, on, on Friday. Is this not a, a serious issue? This is the governor of Arizona, Democrat Katie Hobbs. I'm here at the Lukeville Port of Entry to assess the situation on the ground firsthand and get Customs and Border Patrol the resources they need to reopen our port of entry. Your security is a top priority, and as long as I'm governor, I'll do whatever I can to end the chaos at the border. I'm not afraid to stand up to politicians on either side who aren't doing what's in the best interests of Arizona. And I'm taking action. This week, I sent a letter to President Biden demanding the resources and manpower to open this port of entry. And we announced Operation Secure to step up state support for local law enforcement. But Arizona can't do this alone, nor should we have to. We're asking the federal government to reimburse us for the costs uh, to Arizonans. For far too long, Arizona has borne the brunt of federal inaction on our southern border, and I'm tired of it. Now is not the time for partisan politics. It's time for action. Oh, okay. Let's go back to Representative Crockett. The Republicans have no plan. But here is the governor of a border state begging for help. Are you there to help her? Yes or no? Somebody asked Representative Crockett if she's willing to help Katie Hobbs, Democrat. By the way, uh, in Arizona, during that election, they referred to Katie Hobbs as a Muppet. For the way she sounds and the sheepishness and the, the childlike, just all so ridiculous. All so ridiculous. But there she is. So you know, you now have Katie Hobbs saying the Biden administration has to do more. You now have John Fetterman saying the Biden administration should do more to help Israel. Uh, it, it can't be easy. It cannot easy, be easy for the political left. And, this is, and, I, and I'll go back to it, by the way. The problem with liberalism is that it is wholly illiberal. And these people who are speaking out, whether it be Governor Hobbs or Senator Fetterman, I don't agree with them on a great number of things. I have been very, very direct. But I never said they couldn't say the things that they were saying. I disagreed with what they were saying. Amongst Democrats, these people are now persona non grata. They're not good enough. They don't understand. Seems that they understand pretty dang well. This border continues to grow in danger. Representative Dan Crenshaw speaking on Fox News. Well, and it's not just Senate Democrats. I mean, you have the man at the table, uh, DHS Secretary Mayorkas, has said there's no problem at the border. He said the border is secure. Uh, I mean, he didn't say there's no problem, but he did say the border is secure when it clearly is not. So how can a person who says that be a part of this negotiating process? Yeah, and you wonder why we want to impeach him, right? So, well, you know... <laughs> The, 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 main, the main issues are, it, it's not with CBP, right? You, you can't put more Border Patrol agents on the border and fix this problem. You can't just add more money to the problem and say it's going to be fixed. I mean, Biden requested $14 billion for the border. Well, that's all great, but that's not going to fix anything. You need to change policy. And so what the, Senator Langford and, and we have, have proposed is 
look, you have to change certain laws. You have to change the asylum laws. You have to make them more stringent. Uh, you have to make expulsion authority easier, similar to Title 42, but, but not related to health-related mm -hmm. incidents. Uh, you have to make it more likely than not that when somebody crosses the border illegally, they're going to get deported back or they're right. going to get detained. They're right. not going to get released in the United right. States. If you do that, people will stop. Or at least they back. have to stay in Mexico while they're waiting for their asylum claims like they did during Trump administration. That was really key because there are all these phony asylum claims that, that really don't stick quickly. Right. Uh, so and yes, and, and well pointed out uh, that they are phony asylum claims. Something we've been talking about here for years, how the NGOs, non-governmental organizations teach people uh, to, to, to lie about crossing the border. What we haven't answered in all this is how does this now become something for the election? Whether it's Trump or, or, or DeSantis or Haley. And, and right now it's certainly looking like Trump. We're just days away from the Iowa caucuses. We'll wait for that. Just, just as let's, let's just say for the candidate, leave it there just for this conversation. How do they use it? I'm not so sure that the Republican party is game planned this yet. And, and, and I'm, I'm saying I'm not so sure because it's the Republican party and they're really bad at game planning things. So let us do it. How do you discuss the border? in a way to grab Americans' attention and then focus attention on the powers that be, meaning the Democratic Party, even though there are Democrats who are opposed to what Biden is doing, and put the blame directly on them for their failures, and yes, the failures of Mayorkas. Uh, I believe that, that the answer is, is twofold. Fentanyl and children. No child in the United States is safe with this border policy. Now, you've heard me say that representative, for example, Representative Ocasio-Cortez doesn't care about brown children. I've said it. I've meant it. I'll say it to anybody. She doesn't care about brown children. When Trump was president, there she is at the border, dressed in white, crying, sobbing to no one, by the way. It was a photo op. The, there were the, the fence that she was at, you could simply walk around. Photographers were there laying on the ground taking the picture. There was nobody there. It was a photo op. She's a fraud. But she at least engages the fraud for political purpose. And the political purpose was to put pressure on Trump and say, look at how terrible, look how he puts kids in cages, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Biden today has, the, has different kids in the same cages, and she doesn't take any photos. But fentanyl is now killing the kids. And Representative Ocasio-Cortez is nowhere to be found. She hates brown children. She doesn't care about the children who are carried across the border by coyotes, by these mules who are sex trafficked. She takes no pictures over these last three years. She does not care about brown children. She does not care about little girls getting raped. She doesn't care. Now you're going to tell me that's unbelievably harsh. And I say to you, yes, I agree it is harsh that Representative Ocasio-Cortez doesn't care. But don't get angry with me for noting when she took a photo op and when she hasn't. 
Rather, let us discuss that what is happening at the border is evil, not only for those children who are being trafficked through Mexico at the shame of Mexico, and we should be responsive to Mexico by shaming them and saying to them, we won't accept this, but also other nations in South America and Central America. Let us not only respond to that, but what's happening to children right here in the United States who are getting poisoned. Clearly, We do not have to be political when it comes to our children being killed. This is step one for the Republican Party. Clearly, we can put the politics aside to stop the fentanyl from coming into the country. This drug that gets utilized by hospitals and others, but you have the synthetics, you have what China is is doing, you have (laughs) drugs and other things. Forgive me, the cold has not yet gone away. Laced with these things, killing children, killing others. Clearly, just clearly, we can, as a society, agree to stop this. Republicans stand committed to stopping this, and here is our plan at both legal ports of entry and illegally. Here is the work we will do. Here are the laws we will engage. Here are the laws already on the books that we will enforce. And we will have a better border system with a better Secretary of Homeland Security and better this and better that and better resources. That conversation should be happening now. It should be happening right now. It's not. So that's... That is number one on on, on fentanyl. Number two, the conversation should be, we will not live in a world where children are trafficked. There are many children who want to be a part of the American dream, and we should be very welcoming of those kids. But we cannot be welcoming of the trafficking that brings them here. So it must be our policy to say no to the trafficking by being more aggressive with the traffickers. These kids deserve better. And if these kids are at risk, then American kids are at risk. We must put an end to this by changing our policies and our relationships with these other nations that clearly allow this to happen. We cannot allow the United States to be this termination spot somehow complicit in the abuse of kids. It has to end, and it must end by the United States starting to let our friends and allies in Central and Southern America know that we won't take it and we hold them responsible. Children being trafficked is not some kind of green emergency where these people are climate refugees. Children being trafficked is happening because cartels and others are making a buck off of it. Not on our watch. And friends do not allow others to make money off of children. So we will therefore change our policies with Mexico and with others, that if they allow this, then that means we can't be friends. That means we cannot deliver you any dollars or aid. And it means that we will unilaterally, if necessary, 
engage on any soil necessary to ensure the safety of American citizens by ensuring the safety of children all around the globe. Now that's aggressive. You heard it, and you know it's aggressive. I believe those two things would put Democrats on their heels because they can't say those words. They can't say those words. Now, let me take that back. Maybe some of them can. Maybe Fetterman and Hobbes, can you imagine that I'm saying this? It's unbelievable, right? Would be like, I'm in for that. And then you'd be like, oh, okay, let's get this done. But not Ocasio-Cortez, not Representative Crockett, not Joe Biden, not Mayorkas. No, no, no. They'll tell you how Republicans aren't serious. Don't sell this to media. Sell it right to the American people. A plan to protect our children and then to protect children. This is, the Republicans can't do this? Now, I know what you're saying. No, Tony, they're Republicans. They don't know how to do this. Oh, holy hell, you know you're right. You know you're right. I know you're right. They know you're right. The border is the subject. And I want to talk about ways to win the conversation and to start fixing it. I'm Tony Katz. And today in social media, a fight at Waffle House. I mean, just like 20 people just beating the daylights out of each other. Girls beating up girls, guys beating up guys, guys beating up girls. It's a waffle, people. I mean, this has just become the standard. I, I really, this should become a daily thing. Today in social media, there's something crazy happening constantly. But the fighting thing is 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 remarkable, um, and and that it happens, and 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 like you have guys punching women, and, and, and people are like, "Well, what do you expect? What do you mean? What do I expect? Well, what do I? Why is any of this happening? Is this something culturally that well, this is how people handle things, or is this something culturally about people being on edge, or and why are we videotaping any of it?" And maybe the question is for me. Why the hell am I watching? This is Tony Katz today. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. So goes the reporting that the Biden family is very unhappy, specifically Joe and Jill, sorry, Dr. Jill Biden. They're upset by poll, by the poor poll numbers. This is a story over at Fox, and I, you never know what's true, but, but, but something to, to be said for the fact that Joe Biden cannot handle bad news at all. And 
he's always been this um, grouchy, angry, nasty, nasty guy. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. And we should be clear that he is a grouchy, nasty guy. Um, this goes to a report through the Washington Post that after Thanksgiving, and you know, they pardoned the turkeys because, I don't know, a turkey needs to be pardoned or something. He delivered stern words for the small group assembled. His poll numbers were unacceptably low, and he wanted to know what his team and his campaign were doing about it. Complained that the economic message had done little to move the ball, even as the economy was growing and unemployment was falling. He wants to know why he's doing so poorly. Now, I must make an assumption that candidates look at their team and ask why they rarely look at themselves. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. 833-468-8669. 833-GOT-TONY. That's the, that's the, 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 the name of the show. That's the number. That's how you get to be a part of it. Um, it seems odd that one cannot look at oneself. You don't notice that they're just not that into you? You don't notice that they just don't want to be around you? They, you, you haven't noticed that, you know, you're the issue? I don't think the Bidens have ever noticed that they're the issue, but, but why should they have noticed? Look at how being a Biden has paid off. Look at what they've been able to build. When I say build, steal, cajole, swindle, how they've been able to sell the family name, etc. And and look, a guy who quite literally has no accomplishments and has never been right about anything foreign policy-wise in his career as president. Doesn't matter how he got there, there he is, signing things. He's got the parking spot. He is what he is. He can't believe it. Look, you, you told me the midterms was going to be a giant red wave. It was a trickle. I survived that. You keep telling me how I'm going to fail. I keep surviving. How come nobody believes in me? Isn't that a really good question? How come nobody believes in him? And how can Joe Biden not recognize that the reason nobody believes in you is because they're looking right at you? They're looking directly at you, Joe Biden. They see you, and what they see isn't good. You are old, feeble, incapable, and you're mean. Why in the world would people be attracted to such a thing? You think they're attracted to your Thanksgiving message? This ridiculous dance troupe engaged in this ridiculous rendition of the Nutcracker? A Thanksgiving message, I'm sorry, a Christmas message gets delivered to people who, I, I, don't, I don't know, believe in Christmas, which is whom? None of the people who back you, because the people who back you are these progressive ideologues who don't believe in anything. They're totally dead inside. Some people would argue they're, they're godless, right? Maybe that's be the, the argument. I would argue they're soulless. 
Everything is ideology and nothing else exists. Because I could argue there are plenty of people who may not believe in God or may not believe in organized religion, may not celebrate Christmas, who have a soul. These are different things. These progressives don't have a soul. And you say to me, Tony, that is just the kind of talk that the left does. I'm watching. You watch how these things work. You watch how these people act. You see, if you don't like the speaker, Mike Johnson, because he's too religious, well, you just think that religion is too much of a part of his life. I am saying that the progressive uh, uh, movement in America is not only no religion, but it is ideology over everything. And that ideology is bitter and ugly, and it comes out as bitter and ugly. Constantly and consistently. And that's how it puts itself and positions itself to Americans. And Joe Biden is at the spear of that. Because he was willing to give up anything he might have had once upon a time as a soul... When, of course, he wasn't uh, trying to engage in a high-tech lynching of, of Clarence Thomas, or he wasn't on the side of people who, oh, what did, what did uh, Kamala Harris accuse Biden of? Uh, oh, that's right, being a segregationist, right? And, and when, when he wasn't doing those things, maybe one time Biden had a soul. Where is it now? One must be able to look at oneself. And ask, what is it that I am doing? What is it that I am engaged in? I will tell you that, that, that you know not everybody's a father, which is completely uh, uh, fine. Uh, I, I can tell you that, that I do this a lot lately, though. More than ever, as, as my kids have gotten older, what am, I, what am I doing as a dad? Am I doing it right? I, all the time. And it's, it's not with, with anger. It's a, how do I make sure that I am providing for my kids what they need now, now that they are, are older, not, not yet out of the house or anything like that. It will come before you know it. Uh, but but how, how, am I, how am I engaging with them? How, am, am I recognizing where they are? Recognizing where I am? And recognizing that it's certainly different. And how is it different? And sometimes I have to make the decision on how it's different. And how I have to change how I interact with them so they recognize that they are seen differently and they might need to start seeing themselves differently. Am I, I don't know if I'm the only one. I, I do not know if I'm the only guy who does that. But, but follow it just as a... Uh, tell me if you agree or disagree on, on the Twitter X at Tony Couch or Tony at TonyCouch.com. I have to recognize where they're at and what it is they need so they can grow up to be better people. And I need to change how I interact with them so they can start recognizing how they need to change themselves. Okay, so now this relationship has changed. Okay, this means this, and this is a, a good thing. Or it might be scary, but this is this is where we're going, and help them grow in, in 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 that direction. But I don't think there's any way to do that w- w- without taking a look at, at the self. What is it that you're doing, and and how is it 
what, what is it that you're providing? What is it that you want to provide? And therefore, how do you provide it? And therefore, what you might need to change in order to do so. Do I think for a second Joe Biden does any of that? No, he relies on the idea that why don't these people know that the economy is great? Uh, Maybe, uh, I'm just spitballing here. Maybe it's not great. Well, unemployment is going down. Whoa, 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 whoa. What do you mean it's going down? If there are less people in the workforce, it doesn't necessarily mean it's going down. This is the second time I have seen a story like this. That the reaction from Wall Street to the Fed's announcement about no rate hikes is ridiculous. This is Austin Goolsby, who I think he was part of Obama's team. He is now the Fed uh, of the president of the Chicago Federal Reserve. And he's like the reaction to the central bank. We're talking about Europe didn't make any sense. It's not what you say or what the chair says. It's what it's what did they hear and what did they want to hear? I was, he goes, I was confused a bit. Was the market just imputing? Here's what we want them to be saying. And the answer is yes. The answer is clearly that they wanted to hear that there were going to be rate cuts. Not that there were rate cuts, but that there were going to be rate cuts. The Federal Reserve hinting at three rate cuts in 2024. What the hell does hinting matter? You know what matters? Rate cuts. Hinting at a raise doesn't mean anything to the employee. You know what matters? The raise. Hinting doesn't matter. Hinting hinting is what kind of strings you along. And hinting can lead to some really, really bad blood. Oh, they kept teasing, they kept hinting, but it never came. No, what matters is that someone wrote the check. What matters is someone gave you the recognition. Whatever that case may be. Hinting at, 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 uh, at rate decreases? Nonsense. The central bank, the European central bank, you guys got to forgive me. I'm, I'm, I, I feel great. It's just this cough. And from what I'm told, it's just going to linger. It's just going to be there. It's just going to be a pain in the butt. And I apologize for it. The European Central Bank did not say that everything is great. They didn't come anywhere close to that. They said everything's on the table. And they're, they're still in recession over there. Now, they didn't say that part, but they are still in recession. Why would anybody think that happy days are here again and everybody should be smiling? These sober voices, not that I always agree with everything they say, these sober voices are speaking. What are you all so excited about? Why is everybody cheering uh, these markets like somehow it makes sense? By the way, the Dow is up 19, the NASDAQ is up 88 right now. The same thing can be said, Joe Biden, of you because you proclaim it. It's true. Your polling numbers are bad because you are a bad candidate. 
Trump beats you in the head-to-head. DeSantis beats you in most head-to-heads. Nikki Haley beats you in every head-to-head under the sun. Why do you think that is? Maybe if you looked at yourself and you were honest with yourself, you'd realize it's you. You don't present well. No one believes you, and people don't feel that things are better. You could scream at your team all you want, but facts are facts. You aren't that cool in the eyes of the people. doesn't matter how many aviators you try on. And absolutely, if I'm being asked, the odds are 50-50, and I'd say more so, that Democrats will, at the convention, switch their candidate. I mean, at this rate. I mean, I, I always thought it was too late, but it's as, as you guys reminded, it's a Democratic Party. They'll do whatever they want, and they'll do it at the convention because at this rate, how do they not? I'm Tony Katz. There's something in the White House called the Doomsday Book. And for the first time, DHS gave authorization for me to mention this publicly. Uh, and the fact that there are concerns that that book, which is supposed to be used to protect the country in instances of armed foreign invasion or rebellion, it's the president's most extraordinary powers could be picked up by Trump and used for domestic political purposes. He could invoke powers we've never heard a president of the United States invoke, potentially to shut down companies or turn off the Internet or deploy the U.S. military on U.S. soil. That's right. If Trump is reelected, he's going to turn off the Internet. The guy who loves to post is going to turn off the Internet. Good Lord. This it's it's porn at this case. It is it is fear porn, and it's the only way uh, the the progressives are moving. And this is Jen Psaki's show talking to Miles Taylor, who I believe is the guy who wrote that letter uh, anonymous or or whatever it was. And 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 now he was part of the the Trump team. I'm supposed to believe him? I've seen uh, members of 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 leadership abuse power. I'm watching it right now. Trump's going to shut off the internet. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. It's good to be with you. The issue is the obsession. And I was, this was uh, Nikki Haley speaking in New Hampshire, talking to John Carl of ABC's This Week. And I was, I was kind of happy to hear it right until I think Nikki Haley made a really, really big mistake. I mean, he's running on retribution. He wants to go out and he talks about annihilating his enemies and using the criminal justice system to do so. What, what, do, you, what do you think of that? You guys are exhausting. You're exhausting in your obsession with him. The thing is, the normal people aren't obsessed with Trump like you guys are. The normal people care about the fact that they can't afford things. They feel like their freedoms are being taken away. They think government's too big. I know y'all want to talk about every single word he says and every single tweet he does. That's exactly why we need a new generational leader. Because people don't want to hear about every word a person says or every tweet. They want to know how you fought for them that day. And they want to know how their life is going to be different. And life would be a whole lot different if the media would stop this obsession with Trump. She's 100% correct. That answer works. That works for her big. People across the spectrum believe it. Now, John Carl doesn't stop. 
What's interesting is that in this back and forth, Nikki Haley is sitting next to John, uh, John Sununu, Chris Sununu, the governor of New Hampshire. She got his endorsement. New Hampshire is a big part of her push uh, into South Carolina and then Super Tuesday. But when he's talking, it doesn't come across like he should even be there. Listen. I mean, I was just asking you about his central campaign theme, which is, I want, you know, I am your retribution. And he's winning in the polls. That's why I'm asking. Well, it's if I could, you know, one I'm thing, asking about yeah. the leading candidate. That you're he does everything against. he can not to talk about issues. Yeah. He almost acts like he wasn't there, right? Yeah. He doesn't want to talk about building the wall and securing the southern border because he didn't do it. He doesn't want to talk about fiscal responsibility because he made a hard promise that he would do it in that debate. I'm going to be the most fiscally responsible president this country's ever seen, he said. He balanced started, the budget. Yeah. <laughs> didn't even try to balance the budget. And, you know, the thing that for someone in New Hampshire where, you know, it's not about big government, we love the idea that he was going to drain the swamp. That was an amazing opportunity. Didn't even try. I mean, literally didn't even try. So if he talks about those issues, he has to kind of own those failures. So he's always going to talk about retribution and just kind of try to spur something up. Why is the presidential candidate Nikki Haley letting this man speak for her? Absolutely. And the way she's looking at him and her eyes are kind of dark, it's bad. I mean, she tries to clean it up at the end. If you want to talk about Trump, if you really want to talk about Trump, why don't you go ask him if he's going to get on a debate stage in Iowa where I was voting? Why don't you go ask him if he's going to get on a debate stage in New Hampshire where Granite Staters are voting? That's what you should be asking as the media, not asking about what he happened to say today. If Sununu was auditioning for that vice presidential role, he did not get it. But this, you, you can call me sexist, I'll sleep fine. But it is absolutely something people like Nikki Haley have to look out for. You cannot be overwhelmed by the guy next to you, who, by the way, is a foot taller. He looks like a giant next to her. He is missing an axe and something to chop down. Why are you letting him answer? Why is he even there in the conversation? Why are you agreeing to that? Were you testing out the running mate thing? Because it didn't look good. By the way, you know how many votes Chris Sununu gets you nationwide? Zero. And I'm not even opposed to Chris Sununu as a governor. I'm just saying as a, as a matter of course. I don't think Sununu gets you a coalition. I, do, I don't, actually. It'll be an interesting back and forth. Who's the, who's the VP for Haley? I know. I know. Nobody's thinking like that at all. I get it. I get it. Yes, I you do. You stop it. I understand. Find everything at TonyCats.com. This is Tony Katz today. So it's official. The AFC South is a big mess. It's a cluster that the Indianapolis Colts could win because, well, the Jacksonville Jaguars just got embarrassed by the Baltimore Ravens. The problem is the Houston Texans were able to pull it out in overtime against the Tennessee Titans, who are dressed up like the Houston Oilers, but that's not important right now. What's important 
is that you've got three teams on top of the AFC South at eight and six, and it may all come down to Indianapolis Texans right there at Lucas Oil Stadium in a couple of weeks. Tony Katz, good to be with you, Tony Katz, today. JMV joins us from 93.5-1075, the fan. He is the voice of sports in Indiana. Let's start with this Colts game against the Pittsburgh Steelers. 30-13, to 30 unanswered points. They do it with Pittman getting injured. They do it without Zach Moss and without Jonathan Taylor. Talk to me about this game and how you saw it. Incredibly impressive. And it started out like so many of those games against the Steelers of the past eight that have resulted in losses. And then all of a sudden, you saw the Colts muscle up. I think maybe started with uh, the play EJ Speed made on Najee Harris. But you saw this team close, Tony, in a fashion in which we rarely see around here. And that is on that offensive line, muscle up and run the football. And granted, there was no Jonathan Taylor. Tony, we talked about Zach Moss last week, did we not? There was no Zach Moss. I mean, we're talking about uh, Trey Sermon. We're talking about Tyler Goodson. It was an incredible effort offensively with the line and with the running game. And I thought Gardner Minshew, if this wasn't his best game of all time, it has to be near the top. I thought he handled things incredibly. Again, after that slow start that they had and getting down a couple of scores, they hung in, took it back, and then closed it out with a lot of muscle along that offensive line. It was really impressive, and the environment was incredible at Lucas Oil Stadium. I mean, absolutely incredible and fun. Now let's talk about Gardner Minshew because the line doesn't change. Anytime you're talking about Gardner Minshew, 18 for 28, 215 yards, right? That is basically what you're going uh, to, to get. The story here is three touchdowns, no interceptions, no fumbles. That's the story with Minshew here. No, no, no question about it, too. And you think about who he's hanging in there with. Michael Pittman Jr. goes out with that dirty hit. Um, you know, you had Alec Pierce in there. Uh, Montgomery was in there as well. Mo Alley Cox made a play. I mean, he was he was working with guys that you know you don't always count count on. He counts on Michael Pittman Jr. not having that for a period in the game was was difficult for him, I'm sure. But man, I I thought he was great decision making wise. And Tony, we talked about this. If they can hang in, and he makes good decisions, and if Shane Steichen puts him in position to make good decisions with the play calling, good things can happen. And you see now down the stretch, you get Atlanta, who looks like a joke right now. You get the Raiders after that, who look like a joke right now. And then the biggest game of the year and the biggest game in a long time is going to be that final one against Houston. We're getting way ahead of ourselves, but that's probably the one where it's going to be make or break for this team. But you saw a must-win on Saturday night in their place. They got down early. It was impressive how they came back, got the lead, and then salted that away. And we're going to get to schedule stuff in just a moment. Talking to JMV, the voice of sports in Indiana from 93.5-1075, the fan in Indianapolis. You cannot avoid talking about the running game. Zach Moss with the injury. Jonathan Taylor wasn't in the game. So Trey Sermon, who they brought in earlier in the season, 17 carries for 88 yards. Tyler Goodson, who nobody knows anything about, 11 carries for 69 yards. If you add in Zach Moss's 13 yards, this team ran for 170 yards. The entire Pittsburgh rushing offense was 74 yards. Huge, huge day and exactly what is necessary 
to allow Gardner Minshew not to feel pressure so he can just go throw the ball and score. Yeah, and a former third-round pick in Trey Sermon. You're right. But I think the offensive line, and we talked about that too, if you go back to last week, it just kind of seemed like that Zach Moss was met from the time he was handed the ball and had no room to work. And, you know, I thought it was Bernard Ryman's worst game as a pro for the Colts last week. But all that aside, I thought that offensive line played well. They played so well from the point of attack, which means it seemed like every single time, Tony, you can correct me if I'm wrong, that once the ball was handed off again to Sermon or Goodson, that they had a running start without contact. They had two or three or four yards sometimes without contact. That was offensive line dominance. And, you know, it's funny you look back on it. Our major concern was T.J. Watt and then Highsmith coming off the edge. And then Watt got active early. He was wrecking some game early. Kind of like we saw Miles Garrett earlier this season for the Browns. And then not so much. And then they started running the football. And he was as non-factor as T.J. Watt can get. And, you know, the defense made some plays as well, which I'm sure we're going to talk about. It was just, it was a game in which was necessary. It was a game that was necessary against the Steelers, and it was a must-win situation. And I thought that second half was as impressive a brand of football as we've seen out of the Colts in a while. Now let's take a look at schedule here. Because as you mentioned, Indianapolis gets what can be described as the easy game. You're talking about a team, the Atlanta Falcons, that lost to the now 2-12 and Carolina Panthers. Uh, Indy going down to Atlanta. That's a 1 o'clock kick right now there against the Falcons. But the Texans yeah. have to take on Cleveland at home. And Jacksonville has to travel to Tampa Bay where uh, Baker Mayfield, who everybody left for dead, four touchdowns, 381 yards, was a st- absolute stud uh, yesterday. The Colts have every opportunity, and I want you to break down these games for me, JMV. The Colts yeah. have every opportunity to walk away from next week owning the AFC South and just having to keep it in their pocket. Tony, you're 100% accurate on this. Let's start with what you made the point about Tampa Bay. They're working to win now the NFC South. So, obviously, when I mean, you talk about the scheduling they have with you know Colts competitors down the stretch, that's a big deal. Um, I, I think about it in terms of this. With Houston and with Jacksonville, you now have two quarterbacks, two quarterbacks that are in concussion protocol. Late in that game last night against the Ravens, or I checked that, I'm sorry, after the game, um, it was announced by Doug Peterson, the Jaguars head coach, that you now see Trevor Lawrence going into concussion protocol. The Ravens, mind you, look like an absolute mess, but now he goes into concussion protocol. T.J. Stroud didn't play yesterday. Impressive enough, I guess, in Nashville. You mentioned the old Oilers uniforms in Nashville. They get a 54-yarder in overtime that was the winner in case Keenum was their quarterback. But we'll find out if C.J. Stroud is going to come back. And then you have the Colts against the team that lost to Carolina yesterday. Absolute joke was Atlanta. You get that coming up on Christmas Eve. Then you get a backup quarterback and Aiden O'Connell and whatever is going to be left of the Raiders after that. And then that mammoth game against the Houston Texans right there. So there is every bit, even if you don't own the tiebreaker, which they don't right now, with the Jaguars, there's every bit of an opportunity, especially if you take care of your business, to win this division. And, Tony, Gulp have a playoff home game. That's something we can consider. You now see a path 
to a playoff home game for the Colts that we did not at all necessarily predict. That's nutty, and I won't, I won't, I won't do it. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to get uh, close uh, to it. But I'm, I'm looking at these these schedules here, and I'm looking at, at what takes place. Jacksonville. When you take a look at their schedule, the Buccaneers. Excuse me, still that cough. The Buccaneers, and then the Panthers, and then the Titans. So they have a chance here to still do well towards the end of, of this season. I don't know if the Titans are going to be playing for pride or, or, or what have you. When you take a look at the Houston Texans, well, then it gets a little more interesting because the Houston Texans, they are uh, about to play the Browns, then the Titans, again, for pride, and then us. That January 7th game is absolutely everything. So both of those teams have two games that are involved uh, in, in, in the division. When you talk about the Colts, as you said, the Falcons, the Raiders, which I'm not like you, man. Uh, the, the, the Raiders uh, under Antonio Pierce and the coach change and getting rid of Josh McDaniel, which clearly makes everybody happy. Um, they're, they, they're playing like at least they, they want to try. They're playing with some effort. Aiden Connell is, is throwing uh, the ball. I think that is a concern before you get to a Texans team where D'Amico Ryan, the head coach, clearly has to be up there with Dan Campbell and some others for coach of the year. Yeah, hey, Tony, we've talked about this too. What is this season for the Colts and its fans? It's a roller coaster ride. You know, the, the week prior in Cincinnati, you're going down on that roller coaster. It's making you want to throw up. It was so bad. That's how bad that ride was. And then. You go to Saturday night, and it's a fantastic throw ride on this roller coaster. So, now this team is not nearly good enough to just blankly look at the schedule and a team like Atlanta or a team like the Raiders and say, yeah, you know what, we're absolutely going to win this. But you do like your chances. You like your chances with the schedule that remains. And that has been, I think, the biggest thing that has played into this is the schedule. The Colts have just been doing their part. Saturday, they did their part, and that's what they're going to have to continue to do. But you can't overlook anybody because, frankly, this Colts team, even with the euphoria of Saturday night, this Colts team's not nearly good enough to do anything like that. you got to stay focused, even against teams like Atlanta lost to the one-win Carolina Panthers yesterday. you got to make sure you take care of that business in the next three weeks or the next two weeks and then you get Houston here, and obviously one of the bigger games we've seen around here in a long time. Now, I, if that game's not sold out by the end of the day, I won't even believe it. <laughs> I, I mean, it's just, yeah. who knew when that was on the schedule? It, it's very possible that the AFC South will come down to that. It's very possible that'll be a win-and-in conversation. And and uh, uh, it's happening right here in Indianapolis, which which makes me happy. Let me uh, Let me move you over to the Pacers. Really quick here, uh, as you stated, after losing uh, the NBA Cup to to the Lakers, you, you said uh, they they gotta beat uh, the hapless Detroit Pistons. They have to, otherwise, there's real problems. Well, they do. They beat uh, the Detroit Pistons in that game, one thirty one to one twenty three, and then they have gotten their butts kicked three nights. In a row. The loss to Milwaukee, where it was the fight over the game ball, 141-26. The loss to the Wizards, 137-123. And then over the weekend, the loss to the Timberwolves, 127-109. to What's wrong with this Pacers team? I'm not going to believe in them, honestly. 
Um, even with that Vegas thing, I'm not going to believe them until they stop losing to teams like Washington. Like it's it's funny, Tony. You look back to last Wednesday, and then all that took place. They got took a beating, 64 for Giannis. They lose by 14 in Milwaukee. All right, Milwaukee obviously had them in the crosshairs. Uh, they were mad. They were focused. You saw what happened after the game too. Milwaukee and Giannis went nuts about the game ball. And I thought, you know what? That's great, Tony, because now this Pacer team means something to one of the elite teams in the NBA. All right, fine. You get beat, but whatever. And then you go to a three-win Washington team on Friday, and basically from midway through the second quarter on, you're absolute junk. You're a joke. Absolute joke, which led. They had uh, plane problems, had to stay in D.C., had to fly out the morning of, got to Minnesota the afternoon. That's the, the best team in the Western Conference. Gave them a beating without Tyrese Halliburton with a uh, knee contusion, I believe, as this situation was going to play a role tonight. That, that's not egregious. Friday night is. And they've got four other stinking games. Those four are at home with Charlotte, with Chicago, with the Blazers, with Toronto that they lost and they shouldn't lose. They are piling up ridiculous, you-cannot-lose losses, and then you're going to approach January with this Pacer schedule getting incredibly tough. They are putting themselves in a bad position. Thus, you look at them right now after this weekend as pretenders in the Eastern Conference, and that's unfortunate because they had built so much goodwill, but that's how easily you can take it away when you lose games like you did in Washington on Friday night. And as we discussed, this was the fear of uh, the, the tournament you're going to do really yep. well. Everyone's going to be really excited. You're going to have a lot of energy, and then it's all going to crater afterwards because you put all your emphasis on that. I said it. This was the fear, and and this is what's playing out. But you've got uh, the Clippers. Uh, I think Clippers are tonight, yeah. And then uh, you've yep. got Charlotte and Memphis in uh, Orlando, uh, one right after uh, another. Is this at least a good stretch of games for an opportunity? Well, I think the Clippers, I have to look. I thought they've won like six or seven games consecutively tonight, and, and Halliburton is a question mark, so that's not good. John Morant is back for maybe his second game after that start of the season suspension from Memphis. They've stunk, but certainly they are stratospherically better with him there. That's not good. And the last time they played Orlando, they got run by what felt like 40 points at home. So, no, it's not really. It's a good time to look in the mirror and then ask yourself who you want to be and who you expect to be, not just what fans believe you to be after that trip to Vegas. So, yeah, you got three games coming up that should test a little bit of the pride factor for this Pacer team, and that begins later on tonight with or without Halliburton, which we'll find out, I guess, later on this afternoon. JMV, the voice of sports in Indiana from 93.5-107.5, the fan in Indianapolis. I appreciate you, man. More to get to. I'm Tony Katz. This is Tony Katz Today. Going from bad to worse for Anheuser-Busch, specifically the Bud Light stuff. And and I want to say for the record, I said it the other day and I'll say it again. This whole Kid Rock thing, oh, I'm, I'm not going to bother with Bud Light anymore. I don't want to destroy them. I want them to learn their lesson. Clearly, Kid Rock doesn't understand how lessons are learned. I got to assume he's got something coming to him from somewhere. Maybe it's a friendship with Dana White or what have you. I get Dana White from the UFC. He took Bud Light's money. He's going to try and help them rebuild. He's going to make a lot of money for the company. I get it. I understand it. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. Good to be with you. I'm just saying, 
that if you're going to sit there and literally shoot cans of Bud Light, you don't get to be the guy who says, okay, now I'm done. You mean when you were outraged, it was okay. Now you're not outraged? What, what leader are you? Bud Light failed their audience. Bud Light hated their audience. And Bud Light hasn't learned a lesson. Especially not with you saying, oh, all's forgiven. Let them show they're serious about not lecturing to us, just serving us beer. Now, the Teamsters have authorized potential strikes at Anheuser-Busch. 5,000 Teamsters who work at at 12 different Anheuser-Busch breweries voted to authorize a strike if a new contract does not happen. The The current contract ends February, the end of February 2024. So, you know, bad to worse. Me, I'm not going to be drinking a Bud Light anytime soon. Honestly, I don't know anybody else who is. Just because Dana White's taking their money doesn't mean the rest of us are taking their beer. This is Tony Katz today. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. And now a sex tape controversy. That's that's no way to start a show, is it? Well, it it could very well be the only way to start a show in 2023. Have you not seen podcasts these days? Good Lord, Katz. You're just four steps away from having to start an OnlyFans anyway. I mean, this is the way to do it. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. What's going on, everybody? 833-468-8669. 833-GOT-TONY. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. This is a staffer, I should say now, a former staffer, to Senator Ben Cardin, Ben Cardin of Maryland. And this staffer created a sex tape. He was in a Senate hearing room and videotaped himself, I guess in stages of undress, and then having sex with another man. That's what happened. Now, before we go any further, let us at least start with a a place of understanding. No, I'm not okay with any of this. No, it's 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 all insane. And 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 you got to be able to control yourself. That said, I do not believe this is the first time sex has taken place in a Senate hearing room. I absolutely positively believe that that has happened more than once. I believe it has happened in all types of relationships. There is nothing new about sex at the Capitol. What a weird thing to have to say out loud. 2023 is amazing. But we can go back to the days of John Kennedy and the conversations regarding Marilyn Monroe. Sex and politics, this is nothing new. Not at all. What is new is is, is twofold. Uh, First, the idea of these members of staff who think that somehow they're important. Uh, being a staffer is a very, very um, unsung type of, of, of position. To a, to a senator or a member of Congress, you do the work, you do the grunt work, you get no glory whatsoever. 
But this idea that that staffers should be seen and heard and and should have these these voices you're hearing about staffers in the white house saying we demand a ceasefire now allegedly this guy who worked for cardin um is the guy who walked up to a jewish member of congress and, and said ceasefire now and free palestine this guy claims that it never happened but i don't know if if, if i believe this former staffer at, at all these people thinking that they should have a voice no you don't embarrass your boss there are rules on Capitol Hill. You do the boss's bidding, and that's it. And if you can't do it, you leave, and you go to another place, or you run for office yourself, or you go into private sector, a whole sort of, a whole bunch of, of opportunities, all sorts of things that you can do. But the story here, of course, is that the guy videotaped it. He videotaped himself having sex in uh, the, the, uh, the hearing room. That is a level of ego that is perfectly 2023. The idea that you, you, did you not think this was going to get out? No, you knew it was going to get out. As a matter of fact, you wanted it to get out. I don't know if this dude released it himself or, or not, but the only reason to videotape yourself having sex is to be able to show it to other people because you think yourself that important. And then when called out on it, this guy refers to himself as a victim. He ref- he he's a victim, and and the right wing is 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 after him, and 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 everything else. Quote: This has been a difficult time for me as I have been attacked for who I love to pursue a political agenda. No, you haven't. You are not attacked for who you love. This is exactly the kind of left-wing, nonsensical talking point that takes over everywhere. No one cares who you love. You made a sex tape while you were working for a senator. Of course you got fired. That you don't understand that is because you are a jerk. You're a lowlife. You deserve all the derision you get. Your parents raised you wrong. And I don't want to have to blame his parents for him making bad decisions. But dear Lord, they got to start taking a little bit of culpability. But nah, let's leave the parents out of it and put it all on this guy. You're a terrible guy. While some of my actions, he writes, in the past have shown poor judgment, I love my job and would never disrespect my workplace. Oh, okay. Uh, that's not disrespecting your workplace. Any attempts to characterize my actions otherwise are fabricated, and I will be exploring what legal options are available to me in these matters. We're not allowed to notice that you are bereft of decency. We're going to be the guilty ones. What an egomaniac. My God. That's, that is remarkable to witness. Everybody else is guilty. I'm the victim. You're not a victim. You're scum. And, and, and you know, you, you could have been a guy who is just uh, an exhibitionist and all these kinds of things. It's this statement that adds to it. You wouldn't disrespect your workplace? Too late. You're being attacked for a purely political agenda? Total nonsense. But backing him up? NBC News. NBC News has, this is the headline, Senate staffer, alleged by conservative outlets to have had sex in a hearing room, is no longer employed. That's not the story. That's, that's nowhere near the story. He's not alleged by conservative outlets. He made a video, and in the video, he's having sex in a hearing room. 
Why would NBC say it any other way? It's because NBC News is disgusting. And the people who work for NBC News are happy to lie to you and move agenda. They would say anything. Anything. They don't care how they lie. They don't care how they pervert. They don't care how they twist. They'll say anything to protect their own. You want to protect a guy who had sex in a hearing room and videotaped it? Conservatives allege there's no allegation. There's a video. It's fact. NBC News couldn't be trusted for a holy damn second. That means you, Joe Scarborough and Mika Brzezinski and the worthless Willie Geist. That means you, Kristen Welker and Lester Holt. That means you. You should be outraged by this headline you should be denouncing your digital department for writing such a headline that's not going to happen you want to protect a staffer who had the audacity to tell the rest of us that you're being attacked to pursue a political agenda dude you did the thing whatever happened to taking responsibility for the things that you do you did the thing why aren't you taking responsibility for this it is Amazing to witness, but it goes a a step uh, deeper, which is a conversation about where we are and a conversation about the system. The immediate victim undertaking, the immediate move by media to try and spin how how the conversation uh, goes and, and, and what really happened. This leads us to a place where people don't take responsibility for their actions. How could, how is this somehow making things better? So for NBC, what is the win in uh, saying allegedly? What is the win in trying to make this about conservatives as opposed to making this about the staffer? Are they saying that they condone the behavior? Or are they saying that because it was a gay man... They have to engage protection, otherwise they won't be seen as woke enough, which leads one to, are they in the journalism business or are they in a different business? And the answer is they're in a different business. The headline itself proves the lack of not just journalistic integrity, but the lack of journalistic desire. Being the journalist is not as important and the headline proves this. Just like the act itself being videotaped proves that there is no interest in in having some level of of comporting. Uh, there's there's a way to act. There's a way to be. There's a respect to show your boss. This doesn't show any respect to his boss. He doesn't care about his boss. He cared about him. There was no respect for the job, the title, the opportunity. None of that mattered. Only he mattered this selfishness this this lack of respect for others this lack of respect for the institution we see it from the institutions themselves in terms of how they treat us as americans but look at how people treat the institutions if you were to ask this guy at any given day i guarantee you he would tell you that uh, january 6th is the worst thing that ever happened and an attack on the institutions and a denigration of the institutions What he does, well, that's just an expression of who he loves. Why are you angry with him? One must work extra hard 
to be able to say that and not realize that it, it, it is seen as, as, as a radical position. But when you take a look at where we are today and the support from NBC and the support culturally, of course, this will be seen as what? It's just people loving each other. It doesn't even matter. But of course it matters. And you're not wrong for saying it matters. And this is where the story needs to be. It matters. How you treat the institution, yes, including this. How you show the respect for the people you work for. It matters. I'm in radio. I'm not working on Capitol Hill. You know how many sex tapes I've made? Zero. By the way, don't look for them. There are none. Because, A, I would never do such a thing. But the idea that if I did such a thing, it wouldn't reflect on my employers, stations, uh, compatriots, etc. Well, of course it would. Never mind reflecting on me. Why don't I owe those people something? Why don't I show them the level of respect that they deserve? Does that mean that they have every right to every part of my private life? Of course not. You didn't know this staffer existed. You didn't care. My God, until today, you might not even have known that the senator from Maryland, one of them was Senator Ben Cardin. The other one is Chris Van Hollen, who I I also find. uh, I I should say I don't have many feelings on Ben Cardin except basic disagreements politically. Uh, Chris Van Hollen, especially with his Israel comments, I find uh, perverse. Truly. Uh, now, maybe not this level of, of, of perverse, but this the, the, the perverse is not that the guy is gay. It's that the guy decided to make a sex tape and then after putting it out there, calls himself a victim. That's perverse in my view. It is. It's perverse because you're saying my boss doesn't matter. You're saying the institution doesn't matter. And I don't know why you, you come to that place. What you've determined is that you matter more than all the other things. People matter, and I think they should protect and defend themselves and, and all, all of that. But why don't the other things matter? And wouldn't you be better off if they did? Wouldn't you be better off if you said, you know what, my boss's reputation matters? My, you know, the, the, this, this hearing room where, where decisions are made matter. Maybe I don't do this. Maybe I don't act like this. Maybe by putting, things, uh, putting other things uh, above myself... I create a standard, and that standard actually provides me value. Now, in this case, it's a sex tape, but I think we can apply it to a million different things. I think this is the story. Culturally, we are broken. And it's not that, you know, well, hey, don't lump me into this, Tony. I wouldn't make a sex tape. It's the idea that we do something and then blame other people for noticing what it is that we do. How dare you question it? How dare you have an issue with it? How dare you judge it? I judge it. You bet your butt I judge it. I judge the living snot out of it. Oh, I judge it like it's my job. Of course I judge this guy. Just like I judge NBC and their failure to actually be journalists. I judge them and i think you should too and i think that in in that you should then take that to to your families and 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 to your children certainly a rough conversation to have but it's 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 not about first of all don't make a sex tape don't take a picture of yourself nude do not do it my god i only hope i have made this clear to my children do not take naked pictures 
Do not. It's no good. No good will come from it. Nope, nope. It can't happen. It cannot be helpful. You cannot win anything. Please don't do this. For the love of God. You know, it's like keep my baby off the pole and no naked pictures. These are the things. What about the idea of a standard that you wouldn't do this to yourself or or others? That that self-control says something about you as a person. Other people may not note it or notice it, but you do. Other people may not uh, appreciate it uh, uh, publicly, but you do. And holding yourself to a standard matters. Holding yourself to a standard is good and decent and rational and valuable. In this conversation, the staffer holds himself to no standard and neither does NBC. And none of us are better off. This is, this is a reinforcement that standards are not necessary. As a matter of fact, standards themselves are bigoted, but they're not. They're not. I'm not saying I'm going to have people do away or we're going to do away with people having sex in the Capitol. That's, that's never going to happen. Things are going to happen. And I'm not saying I approve of it. I'm saying it's going to happen. I am saying we should say that this isn't what we want. I am saying that we should work towards building kids and adults in a society that says, as much as I want to try this really cool thing, maybe this isn't the place for it. And I'm going to respect myself and my boss enough not to do it. And maybe there should be enough pressure put on NBC that they start to learn that they're not in the journalism game. They're in the nonsense partisan uh, narrative game. And people should be not paying attention to them as a serious news source when they do this kind of thing. They deserve all the derision they get and then some. And so do the anchors and so do the reporters. So they can then apply the pressure to demand better from themselves. Standards are not bad things. They are good. Standards, the idea of limiting oneself, not on everything, but on some things, creates a better society. Because what we're watching here, to the extent that anybody watched, this isn't better. This is, this is not only just degrading, but damaging to the society writ large. And honestly, we can't afford much more of that. I'm Tony Katz. This is Tony Katz Today. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Giuliani defamation payout is a whole bunch of loot. $148,169,000. Two women he falsely accused of committing election fraud. This goes back to 2020, of course. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. It's good to be with you. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. Uh, my, my job here is not to defend uh, Rudy Giuliani. He did what he did. I'm not here to defend it. I'm here to ask a series of questions. And they were quite, they were the, I was at an event uh, over the weekend. I was at an event where that I was hosting uh, with a, a sponsor called Premier Arms, which is a, a firearms and jewelry store 
Premier Arms and PA Jewelers, and we had a distillery, Hotel Tango Distillery with us, and we were tasting bourbon, and people were hanging out, and they were having a ball, and they were buying local, and we were supporting a group called Helping Veterans and Families, HVAF, H-V-A-F.org. Fantastic time. After that, I was at a, a Christmas party, and I was speaking to a, a friend of mine who was talking about this subject, and I, and I had not paid much attention to it. I knew I'd get to it today. I knew I'd read about it, but this guy was intense on it, right? Really kind of kind of digging in. And their point was $150 million, $75 million each. How does one come to that number? What exactly do these women provide in society that is valued so greatly that the defamation makes it worth $75 million a piece? Now, this is a different conversation than whether or not Giuliani actually engaged in in, in, in in defamation and whether or not there should be a consequence to defamation, uh, to which I have no problem with the consequence to defamation. But $75 million a piece? A piece? When people talk about Trump and, oh, he's just going to be president of, of retribution, all he wants is retribution, may I ask, what the hell is this? That's the point. 75 million apiece certainly seems like a retribution number, not a number that is rational to to the to the idea of defamation in this case. Unless you tell me there's no number that's too high for defamation, which case, all right, somebody defame me, I'd like to retire. If you don't mind, that'd be great. This is Tony Katz today. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. I want Indiana to attract the business. I want... Indiana to grow. There's only a question about how it gets done. And certainly when we have taken a look at Leap, that area in in, in Lebanon, Whitestown, and how they acquired the land, and look, Eli Lilly's going in, and look at the sweetheart deal that they're getting in this company and that company, and look at how the state is doling out for them this, that, and the other way. And then you learn about the water, and you're going to you're going to pipe in water from Tippecanoe County for this this Leap District area. And, and what about other growth, whether it be in Tippecanoe or, or, or other places in, in Indiana? Well, we've got so much water, it's okay to pipe it. Are you sure? And, and why does it look like you made this decision and now you're trying to cover up that decision with some levels of bureaucracy? This has been a real conversation piece around the state, and I think rightfully so. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. It's good to be with you. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. And now add on top of this, this story about the IEDC looking to get a whole bunch of money to try and make some new deals. So the story is, is that the IEDC, the Indiana Economic Development Corporation, is looking for approval from a fund that already exists to spend $180 million dollars in performance-based incentives, as the reporting goes, to get them here. We discussed this last week. This story is only growing, and I think it's all because of the questions regarding this LEAP district 
in Lebanon. Gary Dick joins us from InsideIndianaBusiness.com on Twitter at IIB. So, so we got into this last week a little bit. Let's start with an update. What is the story here? What are these projects? And where is this $180 million in relationship to the ask versus the actual quote-unquote spend? Yeah, Tony, the, uh, and Peter Blanchard at the, uh, the IBJ had this story last week in terms of, as you mentioned, $180 million uh, from a fund that was created by the Indiana General Assembly, a $500 million fund, to do just this to try to attract a new companies, new business to uh, Indiana. Two separate projects, unnamed companies, $100 million in incentives uh, to lure uh, a company that plans to invest $4.1 billion create 2,700 jobs, according to the IEDC, another $80 million in incentives for a company looking to invest $3.1 billion uh, and create 800 jobs. So that will, and that will go before a, uh, a legislative committee tomorrow to get the okay for that. Uh, and then where those projects will, will go, certainly the Leap District in Boone County, which has received more than its share of attention uh, for uh, issues related to water, uh, is one of the locations said to be targeted for uh, investment, the other unclear at this point. But the the $180 million, this is where yep. people are asking questions. There's this fund that exists to be able to, to be utilized to attract these kinds of major players, large-scale jobs and, and, and opportunities. The incentive package, has there been a maybe a fleshing out of what that means when we talk about the IEDC offering up incentives? What Can you define what that looks like? Yeah, and that will come, and I, I would think we would get more details uh, perhaps tomorrow as they, they go before uh, this group for for approval. But it can mean, you know, a number of things. Land acquisition, I think, is is one certainly that uh, that is in play here. They're going to be acquiring land. Uh, at these locations, including the Leap uh, District. But, uh, you know, these incentives can range uh, and can uh, certainly vary. And the Indiana Economic Development Corporation makes the point that these are, quote-unquote, incentive-based. So if the projected investment or jobs that don't come to pass, the company would not get the, uh, would not get the incentives. Uh, and, you know, the incentives game, you can, you can debate that back and forth. Uh, is it needed? Is it important? Uh, it, it obviously is at play. And I think you and I talked last week about the uh, uh, Stellantis Samsung SDI deal in Kokomo that uh, Indiana won that competition. Uh, they're going to build two plants up there, massive investment there. And actually, the state of Michigan offered multiple times the size of the incentive package, and they didn't get it. So companies, uh, it is a competitive game. Companies, uh, or I should say states and regions around the country, uh, are certainly in it a big way. Talking to Gary Dick from InsideIndianaBusiness.com on Twitter at IIB. Uh, the, so much of this is um, getting, I think, more attention because of the oddness of leap this 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 thing happening in in Lebanon where land was acquired and and were the people of Lebanon Whitestown those areas were they really notified did they have a chance to to purchase the the, the land and then of course this idea about bringing in water and and you'll hear people say we've got a lot of water even uh, Brad Chambers a uh, gubernatorial candidate has jumped in on, on this conversation I think because of his days at IEDC and maybe being a part of of, of how some of these deals have come forward but people are saying you're going to move water from Tippecanoe 
do uh, to to down in Lebanon? What about other development in, in, in other places? Is there a feeling statewide that the growth opportunities of Indiana or, or the desires to grow are happening at the at the detriment of, of the people of Hoosiers? Or is there a feeling amongst business leaders that very often people complain about the thing but don't understand the value of, of the thing? Which way is this going? You know, it, it's a great debate, a great question. Uh, and I think you could look at it, uh, you know, uh, in terms of a little bit of both, uh, uh, in terms of, uh, and, you know, the old the old NIMBY, not in my backyard uh, element that perhaps is a piece of that. But there's also, you know, legitimate concerns when you're talking about piping substantial amounts uh, of water from one area to another to fuel economic uh, economic development. The LEAP district, that model, if you will, uh, I think is, is very interesting. The whole idea is to acquire land and then attract advanced industries, like-minded in- industries, growing industries, uh, and create a, a hub of sorts of innovation, technology, uh, jobs, investment, those types of things. The LEAP is the first example. I think there are other areas around the state being looked at as potential uh, districts, innovation districts, if you will, will. So it's part of a of a strategy on the part of the Indiana Economic Development Corporation. And if you look, this this water issue, notwithstanding, it's continued to be continuing to be studied. And actually, we're seeing some uh, of folks in the western part of the state, in Terre Haute, the Wabash Valley, and things, looking at what's happening in Lafayette, the concerns there, and wondering about uh, water supply and economic development in that part of the state as well. So I think you're going to continue to see, or I, I should say, the uh, I- initial returns uh, in terms of the investment and the interest in the LEAP is, is very high. Lilly putting its largest investment ever uh, at the LEAP district, multiple billions of dollars and several hundred jobs there as well. So it's an issue that's going to be with us, uh, you know, I think, for some time. And certainly it's going to be an issue of the gubernatorial campaign I, I, I anticipate uh, next year. And going to be a harder issue for people like Suzanne Crouch, who's the current lieutenant governor, than some people who are on the outside. That's just political reality. Talking to Gary Dick inside IndianaBusiness.com on Twitter at IIB. These kinds of projects, is, is this the future of Indiana? Meaning, should other areas be taking a look at what's going on with this leap thing, whether they be in, 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 the, in the Muncie area or, or they be down in, in Bloomington, down in Jeffersonville, or, or other areas and saying, uh, the state might be trying something like this where we are. Like, and, and are they excited about this or do they see this as a potential issue? Yeah, I think, again, I think it's a mix. You know, I think there are, are uh, you know, communities and regions around the state that perhaps haven't participated in the economic development success saying, hey, what about us? You know, we'd, we'd like to get an investment. We'd like to, to have something like this uh, in our region. And at the same time, there are those who are concerned about the infrastructure, be it water, roads, traffic, all the things that go uh, with major development, uh, you know, concerns about that uh, as well. And one of the big uh, focus areas, Tony, you and I have talked about it. How does the rest of the state, how does rural Indiana and smaller communities benefit uh, or get in on this economic development game? We're beginning to see, you know, some big investment, New Carlisle up in the South Bend area, getting a big General Motors uh, joint venture plant, several billion dollars up there, EV battery uh, plant in that region. Terre Haute getting a big uh, EV components investment there too, beginning to see more investment outside of 
metro areas, if you will, around the state of Indiana. So with that comes jobs, the need for workforce training, all those things that you and I have talked a lot about uh, the past uh, number of months. And those are going to be front and center, certainly in 2024, but I think for some time to come. Gary Dick, InsideIndianaBusiness.com. I appreciate you taking the time to be with us. The idea that we would engage in incentives to help build a workforce, to be able to work that business, to be able to get the opportunities that come from it, that I'm fine with that. I don't have an issue with that at all. I think it makes sense. And and if, if the argument is we shouldn't be incentivizing that way, uh, then we lose out. Now you say to me, well, this is part of the problem. I won't disagree. But if we're giving up, because it, it's weird, it's not actually giving up money. If we're giving up the, the, the chance of getting future tax dollars that we definitely wouldn't get anyway if we didn't have the business, what's the argument? Well, one argument could be, well, you give opportunities to this kind of business, but not to that kind of business. You could say that that's true. And you could say that that's unfair. But you could ask yourself, what does that business bring versus what other businesses bring? And does one have to make decisions? Well, now you're asking, does the state pick winners and losers? Again, a solid, legitimate question. But one of the answers is possibly, possibly not, but since we're not actually giving anything up if these businesses don't hit their targets, all we're doing is taking a shot at how we create opportunity that will then create other ancillary opportunities. One of the things I think it's forgotten all the time is that let's say you bring a business into town. Let's, let's say one of these advanced manufacturing businesses. What that also brings, right? It's, it's not that $7.2 billion worth of investment. That's super nice. That's top line. What about the millions up to billions of investment from all the smaller businesses that then come in to provide ancillary services for it? So if you bring in a, a big advanced manufacturing place, whatever, whatever you want to describe as advanced manufacturing, let's say they hire 300 people. Now who provides the dry cleaning for those 300 people? How about the restaurant? those 300 people how about an entertainment opportunity how about a, a, a this service or a that service the electricians the businesses that come in to now provide for that business and for the people who work at that business those things matter and 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 this has a a a, a, a an effect that's solid i think for an economy so when we take a look at these things top line i favor the the outreach I favor trying to bring people in. Now, I think that it's done first and foremost through a better regulatory environment, even more so than taxation. I think the idea of regulatory environment, making it easy to open the business, that moves people most of all. And and I want to move people in that direction. I think it's extremely important for us not to have a serious regulatory burden, make it easy kitten make it easy that's what we should be doing and i think that would help attract more people then we can get into the taxation conversations and then you can get into what some people would describe as the giveaway conversations but remember you're not giving anything away if you're only telling them they don't have to pay something they definitely wouldn't pay if they weren't here now that doesn't go for all businesses and i'm I'm circling back and i get that that's a, a crux, something that's worthy of discussion. So I don't have the issue with trying to, to build business this way. I have an issue 
certainly with, with how an incentive is paid out. But when we talk about leap, when we talk about where, where, where else this could happen, or, or is this the state deciding that the Hoosier doesn't have a say? They'll do what's best and you guys will just figure it out. Because that dog won't hunt. That I cannot abide. I don't think anybody should. Find everything going on at TonyCats.com. This is Tony Katz today. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Miles in Budapest, my, my hidden treasure chest. Golden grand piano, my beauty focused EOU. I will say it again and again and again and again. The, the, the biggest threat in, in America is not uh, radical Islamic terrorism. It, 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 it isn't. Uh, the, the biggest threat in, in America is not climate change. It isn't. The biggest threat in America and to America is liberalism. And the very idea that one should not note when something is wrong. The allowing of Marxism in our lives, which has happened all across the educational sphere, and we have so much proof of it now, post-October 7th, post the attack from Hamas, this terrorist organization, in Israel, and all the support you see for Hamas, not for a free Palestine, that's nonsense. It's for Hamas. And you saw it previously when people would say, well, anti-Zionism isn't anti-Semitism. Of course it always was. Of course it always will be. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. Good to be with you. Of course, one could have an opposition to Israeli policy. I do. I have opposition to German policies. I have opposition uh, to a lot of things in, in a lot of places. For these leftists, it was an excuse to allow their leftist friends to Build hate towards Israel and hate towards Jews. And when you see Jews across the country saying, we've been abandoned by the left, we can't believe how this has happened. How did you not know this was going to happen? And I try. I'm trying to find grace. I'm trying to find the place, but I do admittedly have a, have a bit of a hard time with this. How did you not know? But when people are confused, I want to at least try and bring some understanding. And the understanding is Marxism. Why is it? that the polling shows uh, that uh, 18 to 24-year-olds, 51% of 18 to 24-year-olds think that Israel should be ended and given to Hamas. That's where the polling is, a Harvard-Harris poll. It's because they view Israel under the guise of oppressed oppressor. And you're like, what are you talking about? They view Jews as white and therefore everybody else, Palestinians, as not white and therefore Jews are oppressors. And you say to yourself, but this is, this is Israel and there are Arabs. And what are we, what are we, Israel's the oppressor. What are we talking? Let me try it uh, again. Everything for the Marxist is, a, is viewed in this oppressed oppressor relationship. It's the same thing as Barack Obama talking about the 99% and the 1%. It's the same thing as Karl Marx talking about the proletariat and the bourgeoisie. Everything you see is oppressed oppressor. This is Marxism. This is what we're seeing everywhere. And this is what we have allowed to be built in schools. And why do you think they're so angry that you as a parent or you as just a, a human being, as an adult, as an American citizen, are paying attention to what's happening in the schools? It's because they want to keep this going, this hate, this vitriol, this bile, and you're getting in the way. 
Why do you think this is happening on college campuses? Because this is what we as Americans have built because we have allowed the liberal left to be in charge of academia. That's done. It's more than just private school and homeschool. It's about breaking the unions and taking over. I'll have more on this. Find everything at TonyKatz.com tomorrow, everyone. Take care.